You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast with Amy Green Smith, episode 443. You can find information on anything referenced in this week's episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP443. there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. Quick question. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on one more thing or your partner asks what's bothering you and you respond with a bold-faced lie? Oops. What would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, and you could use some help with boundaries or speaking up, you are in the right place. Thank God. I am Amy Green-Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I've been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be solo, other times you'll hear from smart folks offering you easy-to-implement tools to help you tell the bold-faced truth. Yes! Well, hello, pod people. Amy here, and I'm super pumped up. I hope you are, too. We're starting a new series on identity, and we are going to cover it all, let me tell you. If you are not familiar with how I typically share content on this platform, I love to do little mini series where I do some guest interviews, some stuff solo, and we just got done doing a four-part series on attracting love where we dug into attachment styles and inner child work and what vulnerability and intimacy have to do with attracting love. So if you missed any of those, I highly suggest you go back through episode 439, 40, 41, and 42. Those, I think, will be hugely enlightening for you. And also, I want to mention that it's not necessarily only applicable to folks who are wanting to attract love in their life. A lot of the things that we talked about in that series will resonate for folks who are single or who are already partnered, who are struggling in relationships, maybe at work or with friends. So be sure to check out that series. But now we're jumping into stuff around identity. Today, I'm going to give a call to a dear friend of mine named Sarah Dean, who works specifically with moms who are navigating who am I now that I've changed from a woman without children to now a woman with children or a person with children, depending on uh, your gender identification. So I want to give her a call and just find how, how do you pick up the pieces when you've had such a change to one of the major roles in your life and what that looks like as far as really owning who you are. So I'm going to give her a call uh, here in a second. I want to also let you know, coming up on this series, we're going to be talking about the various roles in your life. Next week, I'm going to be doing a solo episode where I talk about how we've been branded and labeled by other people throughout our lives and what (laughs) that creates for our current reality. And we're going to be digging into queer community, identifying as queer, leaving your faith or your, you know, your family faith traditions or religions you were raised with. Like, what does that look like to find your own spiritual identity? And we're going to hear from uh, an expert who was a part of a cult and had to redefine who she was spiritually. So I think there are going to be lots of good nuggets in this episode or in this series for you. So before I give Sarah a ring, I really hope that she's able to pick up, but I want to give you a little bit of a background on who she is and what she's all about. She's really just a gem. So She's a mindset and business leadership coach. She's also the creator and host of Shameless Mom Academy. So any of y'all moms out there, be sure to check her out. It's a very top-rated podcast. Her biggest passion is helping women own their space allowing yourself to exist and thrive. So after enduring her own identity crisis following the birth of her son, Sarah took her background in psychology and health and wellness and began to rebuild her identity. So I definitely want to ask her about that. And she is all about women starting to shine instead of shrinking. And 
I'm sure that is something that many of you can relate to, how oftentimes we twist ourselves to fit into some sort of mold that's expected of us. So let's give Sarah a ring and let's see if we can uh, dial up this expert. Hello, Sarah. Hey, it's Amy. How are you, friend? Oh my gosh, you caught me at the best time. Really? Because yes. I've got I've got a ton of stuff I want to ask you about. So, so you have some some free free minutes. I like. have free minutes because luckily I've been racing around crazy all morning, and I just remembered that groceries were dropped off on my porch two hours ago. Um, oh shit! And there was raw chicken sitting there. I don't know like the laws on eating raw chicken. So I'm going to have to look this up, but um, I just <laughs> ran and put the raw chicken in my fridge. So now I got nothing but time and maybe rotten chicken. in my fridge. I think, you, well, well, what was the, what was the temperature outside? That was, the, that's the whole oh, gauge. Probably I think. like, I don't know, 45. I think you're chilling. Yeah. Okay. I think you're good. Okay. If it was like a, like a solid 95 degrees outside, I right. think you might. <laughs> I know. I mean, luckily this is how, yeah, luckily it's like barely spring here. So perfect. <laughs> Probably, perfect. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. So here's the deal. I've been hanging out over here with the audience and we've been talking about things related to confidence and courage and identity and how we can actually uh, really own and acknowledge who we are, but then also who we're becoming. And I was like, well, I have to I have to call up Sardine for sure. So I would love to just kind of start with this idea of, of identity and what it is that you see most prominently in your work and you know with your, your students or clients that maybe they get a bit derailed when it comes to identity. Absolutely. So I work with obviously the Shameless Mom Academy. I work with a lot of moms. And what I saw, what I learned myself from my own personal experience, and then what I've seen over the years now is the massive identity crisis that a woman suffers after becoming a mom, because all of a sudden the only role that you are valued for is keeping a child alive, which is like a pretty critical role, but also it's so like kind of a large responsibility, but it's also so encompassing that like nobody warns you that you're going to just lose every other part of yourself. And I think that that can also happen in other capacities. So this might happen after you get married where you're like, now I'm just someone's like partner. And now I've, where's the boundary between like me and that other person, or it might happen in a job at work where you're like, and now I'm this certain role. And what does that mean for who the way other ways I show up in the world? And I, I think that when it comes to identity, there's all sorts of different ways where we can be consumed by one identity and then limit kind of the scope of other identities that we carry. And we all carry tons of identities. And it's been interesting and, and so fascinating and powerful in my work to ask women to identify what are the other identities that you carry? Can you make a list? And can it be a list of like, 20 things. Could it be like, you might be a mom and you might be a partner, but are you also a voracious reader and a snowboarder and a gardener and a photographer and a puppy lover and all those things, like all those things are the things that make us up. Um, not just the one thing that happens to be consuming us most in any given moment or season of our life. And it, I I'm wondering if you see this too, that it's, it's so funny. Cause as I've listened to you, I'm like, gosh, we are, we're so similar in what we talk about and how we frame things up. And so this, I'm super giddy about this because I've talked about identity in this context quite a bit as well. And I think that, or I have this theory that we kind of cater to the things that are the most emergent and, or the things that are the easiest for us, right? So if we've developed, let's say this identity as this overachiever or, you know, this classical trained ballerina, and that has become like our lifelong identity. Um, we will tend to those things that we're either hugely naturally good at. It's a part, it's already ingrained, oh, yeah. it's, right. Or the things that are the most emergent, right. Which hello, when you're raising a child, everything's a fucking emergency because you have to keep that child alive. <laughs> Right. right, like, right. It, it is a matter of life and death in so many situations. Yeah. But I love that you're pointing to this 
idea that we are so much more vast and diverse as humans to cater to just one aspect of our identity, which is kind of where we've fallen that trap. And I see it the most commonly in either parenthood or work, where it's Mm -hmm. either I'm completely enveloped by my workspace or I'm completely enveloped by by parenthood. So much Mm -hmm. so that I don't even know what I fucking like. I don't know what I... And I know you've spoken about that before. Um, oh, yeah. What are some ways you see that show up? Um, so, well, I see it in a few different ways. Uh, one of the things, so I learned how to ski at age like 43 and taking on this identity is like, now I'm a skier, which was huge and scary. And like anyone who, like, if you have learned to ski in your forties, please send me an email so we can talk about <laughs> this because not enough people talk about how absolutely terrifying it is to learn how to ski when you're old in air quotes. So. Um, and what I type of taken... s- supplements that you take for your joints? So in taking on this new identity as a skier, I was, it, it was this incredibly, because skiing is a really immersive experience. Like when you are learning to ski, all you are doing is thinking about not dying. And so I had this huge identity shift around, like, I get to own that I'm this thing now because I did it and I didn't die. And that's a huge accomplishment. And I'm going to like, where can I highlight on my bio that I am now a skier? And so that was a big sh- like thing I noticed, just being able to add to that list of ter- in terms of the identities that you embrace, that we embrace. But one of the things that I think we overlook in terms of not bringing in new identities is also in conjunction with that, we are catering to other people's identities as mm-hmm. women, typically caretakers, and typically people who are willing to sacrifice ourselves and our identities to support other people to the point that we don't know what our own preferences is as you meant, uh, what our own preferences are as you mentioned earlier and so how i see this show up so much in motherhood uh is that we see women or i work with women who come to me after whether they've been parenting for 10 years or 20 years and they're like I don't know what I want for dinner. I don't know what my favorite color is. I don't know what music I like. I don't know where I want to go on vacation because their default for decades has been to defer to someone else's preference or just make someone else happy. And sometimes that started in motherhood. And for some people, it started when they were first partnered with someone. For some people, it started when they were really, really young, depending on their family roles. And so they might've been deferring to other people's preferences well before they even were, you know, had their own households. Um, so I think that there's multiple components in there where like, we don't, we don't, not only do we lose our sense of preferences over time, depending on our roles, but we also don't have the opportunity or experiences to bring in new identities unless we really proactively go seek them out. And then we, again, end up in this place where we're like, who am I? I have like two roles that I, one or two roles that I can own and I'm like not in love with either <laughs> Right. Well, it's interesting even hearing you talk about what is at play for a lot of the women that you work with around this concept of motherhood. It's not dissimilar to what I see all the time with folks who aren't parents. Mm -hmm. And I think that's largely because whether you choose to procreate or not, there still is this message about who women are supposed to be period. Yeah. So you yeah. are responsible for other people's emotions. Like, don't say that to him. Don't say that to her. Like, you need to make it right. Sweep it under the rug. People, please twist, contort. And so mm-hmm. I see a lot of those same patterns in women that that was sort of the defense mechanism growing up because yeah. that was what, what's expected of you all the time is to make sure that everybody else is okay. And yeah. I remember hearing you talk about this on on your podcast about choosing to do something without necessarily asking for permission from a partner and how we can really see a gender divide with that where a lot of times if you're telling a like a cishet man, "Hey, I'm going to go take this time for myself this weekend," they're used to claiming what they need and saying what they're going to do all the damn time. So most of the time (laughs) they're like, okay, yeah, that's just, if you need something, you just say you need it. If you want something, you just express, you want it because in our society, 
for those who identify as men, it's like perfectly acceptable for you to just take and ask and do and whether or not you are skilled or not. Sure. Be the fucking yeah. president, you know, whatever, <laughs> just, just take totally. it instead of uh, what women feel all the time, which is I have to prove it. I have to ask permission. So I would love to hear a little bit from you about this concept that, that you speak all the time on, which is just really taking the reins of your life without feeling like you have to ask permission around every corner. Yeah. Yeah. So you gave a, gave a great example when a partner, like a dude is just going to like go say like, Hey, I'm doing this thing on Saturday. A female typically is going to be like, do you mind? And is it okay? And I like put all these parameters in place to make sure that you'll be comfortable while I'm gone. So especially if there's children involved, like, can I do this thing on Saturday? If I do all the laundry first and clean the whole house and also go grocery shopping and make sure that dinner is ready before I leave. (laughs) So, and I'm like exaggerating and laughing, but there's a lot of truth to that. And I'm someone who's living in a like I'm super progressive. My husband's super progressive and we are aware of these things and still fall into these patterns. And I can give a great example as it relates to travel, where when I have to travel a lot for work, I often can find myself in this like, Oh geez, like I have to book something. And are you cool with it? Even though I'm not like asking for, or like, may I go do it? But I'm just saying like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like I'm being apologetic about, sorry, I have to be gone three times this month. Well, my husband, um, in March of 2022. So just recently had five work trips in four weeks and he does not typically travel for work. Like he hasn't had five work trips in his last five years at this job. So pre pandemic didn't travel like maybe once a year, maybe twice, but then he had this like onslaught of trips. And what was so interesting to me is as he would book them, I would, he would just send me a text or knock on the wall. Cause we're like (laughs) both working from home. And he'd be like, Oh, I have to book this next one. And Oh, I have to do this one too. And he was frustrated because it was just a big pain in the butt for him to have to do all this travel, but there was no like, Oh, do you mind? And is this like, I know this is going to be really hard on you. There was no acknowledgement of that. Now he had awareness of like, this is going to be a pain in the butt for everyone, but there wasn't that like a like pre-apology of like, I'm so sorry. And is it okay? And like that energy around it, it was just like, Oh, I have to do this. And his whole thing was like, I'm going to be so tired when it's all done. My whole thing with my job was like, this is going to be so hard on my family. Like, how can I make it really easy on them? Again, how can I do all the laundry and make all the food before I got like just really different roles. That's right. And it was so, so enlightening to me where I was like, your only stress here is that you're going to be tired. <laughs> and yeah. then I'm like, but I'm going to be really tired after that too. Like I'm going to be a single parent for a month. <laughs> It's it, it's so fascinating to hear you talk about this because I think there's this way in which if you are immersed in a personal development space and or you're extremely progressive and liberal, you kind of think like, oh, that shit isn't going to touch us. And <laughs> I I can attest to that in my own marriage. We've been together for almost 25 years. We have no children. We both run our own business. We do our own finances separately. We do our own grocery shopping. We have different sides of the fridge, different sides of the pantry. We do our own Oh my God. I love your marriage. I love your marriage. (laughs) It's extremely, extremely independent, but it's amazing because we literally never fight about anything domestic. Right. Mm -hmm. So I illustrate that all because even with that, which by all accounts would be a very liberal domicile. Yeah. Yeah. I still have where I calculate okay, I need to be done with my workout so that I have, when he gets home, I'm ready to hang out with him. Or I need to kind of twist and contort my schedule on Saturday so that I can make sure that I'm with him. So even even though it's not like, let me do all the dishes or the laundry or all of that, because fuck that, but um, it still comes down to, I consider him in ways that it doesn't cross his mind not out of malice, but just out of lack of societal conditioning. So we've had that conversation many times where he's like, I don't ask that of you. And I'm like, I'm clear that this is my own internalized misogyny. This is my own internalized patriarchal bullshit that I have to remember. And I've heard Michelle Obama talk about it with Barack, where she's like, you know what? He's going to make his workout important. I need to make my workout important. And, and I, I had to start doing that where I went, okay, aside from whatever Mr. Smith wants to do or what his schedule is going to be like, what do I need to claim? 
mm-hmm. as mandatory for Amy, period. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, I'm so fascinated by this because I actually, similarly in my marriage, we have all sorts of things that are separate that people typically don't have separate, like separate finances, which my friends who have been married for 20 years, which there's not a ton of them, but the few, they're like, how, like, that's so weird. And we've been together for 18 years, 19 years now, almost. Um, so separate finances, we do like he does his laundry. I do mine, like all of those. So all these similarities, right? So I, for a long time, I was like, we're good. Like we know how to like live in a feminist society. We'll be on, <laughs> right. But I'm telling you when you throw a kid in there, the weird thing, all of a sudden I'm like, I need to make dinner every night. Like that's what a good mom does. So it's funny, like bringing it back to identity where, where you, you, you're so aware of like socialization and the patriarchy and all the ways that you're like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to fall for all these other things that other people fall for. And then one identity shifts or a sense of responsibility shifts or life circumstances shifts. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, interesting. Like I just immediately defaulted into like what a quote unquote woman or mom should do in this circumstance. And that like, then you have to undo like, but that's not who I want to be. <laughs> and, and my husband and I have this conversation about dinner. Cause I'm like chronically angry that dinner has to happen every day. Yes. And also like, I'm too controlling to let him do dinner most of the nights. <laughs> so um, he's like, I can't win. Like, you're going to be mad about doing dinner and mad at the patriarchy that the women make dinner. But you like, also, are you going to ever let me make it? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> that 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 could take us down a very slippery slope of like, well, if you would just do it right, then we would be fine. <laughs> exactly. Yes, that. <laughs> so we'll we'll save we'll save that. We'll but, save, we'll save all all of my control all of the yes all the controlling tendencies <laughs> of a of a uh, um, firstborn like type A conditioned person. <laughs> so are you are you the oldest? Yeah. Yeah. As am I. And like textbook oldest. My mom got me, my mom got me the birth order book. Like as she's like, Oh, I think this would be kind of interesting. This was like 15 years ago. Um, and I was reading it and I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) like for better or worse. Yeah. I'm definitely an oldest. Yes. Same. (laughs) I, I went through a hypnosis training, um, a few years ago. And we did like family systems in that program. And I sent, I sent a breakdown to my brother. So I was like, okay, do you identify with middle child and <laughs> younger child? Cause I sure as fuck identify with the eldest. So yeah. we, yeah, we had a good laugh around that. And it's like a whole nother identity right there. Like that's right. Caretaking and the responsibility. And then I had sort of an additional element because my father passed when I was in my twenties. And then my mom kind of looked to me to kind of take Mm. over that role. It was quite, quite interesting. So before we continue on, I wanted to ask a quick favor from you. Do you ever listen to the pod? And I think this might happen for you where you think, damn, I really wish so-and-so could hear this. Maybe it's your coworker who could actually use a lesson or two on boundaries, or maybe it is a women's group that you're a part of where everyone is super on board for speaking up for themselves, but nobody really knows what that really sounds like. Okay, where here's where you come in. I have three battle-tested and badass keynote speeches that are ready to be delivered to your company, organization, group, association. So if you, your community, or anyone you know could benefit from me rocking the mic, like who can use some new tools, right? Please send them over to amygreensmith.com slash speaking where you or they can message me directly about specific needs for the audience. Shocker, the three keynotes are focused around speaking up, contending with fear, and accessing enoughness. And all three of them can be delivered either in person or virtually, and of course can be completely customized for specific audience needs. So again, simply send them to amygreensmith.com dot com slash speaking where they can get in touch with me because listen it is time that women everywhere have the tools necessary to use their voice take up space and advocate for their wants needs and opinions like yesterday and if you end up orchestrating an opportunity for me to speak with your group you will officially get unlimited squeezes from me (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'm sure you're all in now. And be sure to let them know that I can always temper my <clears throat> colorful language if needed. And thank you. I wanted to take a quick moment to thank Let's Get Checked for sponsoring this podcast. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing super easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. Well, testing for what, you might ask? Well, they have a huge array of at-home testing kits, including women's health, men's health, sexual health, and wellness kits. In fact, I did two of the women's hormone testing kits. And it could not have been easier. And then when I received the results, I was able to simply forward them onto my naturopath to get her thoughts. All you do is you simply choose your test online. It will be delivered to you in discreet packaging with next day delivery. And then once your sample arrives in the lab, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. Once your results are available, they'll be reviewed by a physician, and then a nurse will contact you for a consultation over the phone. And in some cases, a physician will be able to provide prescriptions to the pharmacy of your choosing. Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. Let's Get Checked lets you avoid uncomfortable office visits by providing you with access to home testing and professional medical consultations without ever leaving your home. It has never been this simple to get tested. So get this. If you want to try a test from Let's Get Checked, all you got to do is go to trylgc.com slash bold truth to save a whopping 30% on your first test kit. 30%. Just use the code bold truth, all one word at checkout. That's bold truth to save 30% on your first test test kit. Now let's jump back into today's topic. I would love to hear if somebody out there is kind of struggling with some of these sort of mired identities where they're like, I, I'm stuck in this role in my work, or I'm stuck in this role in my relationship or this dynamic. And I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want. I don't know what I like. I feel like I've just been running on autopilot either mm-hmm. embodying the identities that I've always had or the right. labels that I've always had, or I'm just running on emergency status where I'm putting out fires. I'm just making ends meet. I'm handling work, handling family. So I haven't really had the expanse or the privilege to really sit down and go, who, who do I want to intentionally become? Yeah, Where the fuck does somebody start? Oh my goodness. Such a great question. And I feel like so many people listening were like, oh, that's me like wandering and lost. Where do I go from here? And especially after the last couple of years, like who's not having a bit of an identity crisis and like trying to figure out like, oh my gosh, I'm coming. I don't even want to say we're coming out of it because we're not totally coming out of it, but we knock on wood, we're, knock on wood. <laughs> right, right, right. Like we're far enough into it that we have a sense. And yeah, we're like, we're seeing some light for the moment. It could change tomorrow. So I think that there's a couple things. I think that the first thing is owning your superpowers. And when you're in that space of like, I don't know who I am and I'm doing nothing for myself and I feel stuck in every as- aspect of my life, for me to be like, just own your superpowers is like just obnoxious. And <laughs> I would say that if you can look at what are you passionate about and what are you good at and how can you be really clear on those things, even if you're in a funk that you from there can start to make decisions around those superpowers and you can start to say them out loud and you can start to look at, okay, I might not like this job or I might not like this role, or I might not like the way that I'm showing up in a certain identity that I'm carrying. Maybe you're like, I don't like the way I'm showing up as the oldest child in my family of origin because I'm taking on way more stress and burden than I need to. And it's completely exhausting. So whatever the identity is that you're wanting to shift in looking at what are your superpowers and that and where do you hold passion and where do you hold actual like talents and skills and being really getting clear on that? Because I think if you have clarity on that, then you can look at, okay, what do I want to do with that? So I think that that's one action step that you can take. And it can literally be like sitting down with this piece of scratch paper and writing like two columns, column A, here's what I'm passionate about. Column B, here's what I'm good at. So for me, it might be like, I'm passionate about feminism and I'm passionate about um, like equity. 
and, and what I'm good at, I'm good at speaking and I'm good at teaching and I'm good at coaching. And so looking at like, where's intersections there and how can I make decisions around like how I want my identity to shift based on that, or how I want to step in and own different new identities potentially, or more, more fully own identities I already carry based on that. The second thing I would say is collecting evidence and being conscientious, collecting evidence by being a better listener as strong extrovert leader type a kind of person highly reactive person who wishes i was more proactive than reactive um listening can be really really hard because listening requires you to like get quiet and look at and identify like okay what's working what's not working why is that what do i want to change why do i want to change it where can i like be more patient all those kinds of things that can be pretty hard What can happen when we start to listen inward though, is that we can recognize what's working for us or what's not working for us. We can recognize the evidence around, and I'll go back to my example of skiing and thank God I have a new audience here because my audience is so sick of hearing me like use skiing as an analogy for everything. (laughs) (laughs) But going back to skiing, as I learned how to ski and grew in confidence with that, I recognized I really like building new skills as an adult or as a middle-aged adult at this point. And I didn't know that about myself. And then I was like, hold on a minute. Like, not only did you learn how to ski, but like a few years ago, you learned how to podcast. And a few years before that, you learned how to do like, and I was like, oh, I actually really like learning new skills. Like, okay, noted. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is I really like to learn to use my body in new ways. So don't ever put me in like a choreographed hip hop class. Cause I don't like using my body in that way, but to learn a skill that allows me to feel strong and that is independent of other people, because if I'm bad at it, then like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect others. Um, makes me feel very, very alive. So whether that is skiing or whether that is crafting or hiking or, it's not gardening for me, but it might be for someone else, like learning a new skill and using my body in a new way and having something to show at the end of it is really, really valuable to me. As you do things, taking notes and collecting evidence, like, oh, this is, I really like this. And so now when I, now that I can recognize that I like to build new skills and I like to use my body in new ways, then I can be looking for, well, where are other opportunities to do that? that maybe I haven't thought about before and that will give me those opportunities to continue to grow and evolve and become in ways that are going to uh, be congruent with the identities that I want to be evolving rather than the identities that just happen to be bestowed upon me. I think it's really interesting too, because we, I, I see a lot of people who think that that needs to just be like, boom, I'm this, you know, I'm going to be a confident individual or I'm a podcaster or I'm a business owner or any other thing they want to kind of claim as this new identity. And I, this is what I'm hearing you say too, is so much of it is an experimentation process. And a lot of times I will tell students and clients to just start creating dates with yourself and just start experimenting with things, maybe even something that you loved in high school or college, and then you gave it up because of this high demand career or because of starting a family. Maybe it's not that you want to you know, paint murals on the sides of buildings like you did in high school, but maybe it's now that you love cross-stitching or Mm -hmm. you love getting involved in your kids' play and making their costumes. So there can be so many other avenues for us to go, oh, I'm a creative person and here's how it shows up now. And I like to say it's kind of uncovering or discovering things that either you knew from the past or you never knew until you started to actually give yourself that permission to experiment. And oh my gosh, totally. There's so many reasons why why we don't why we don't do that too. Why we go, "Oh, that's not possible." And I think a lot of times that inner critic will will chime in anytime one of those experiments goes awry and it goes, "See, this is why we don't try new things. This is why we didn't try skiing for so who do you think you are?" And the retort, I think, needs to be, okay, I'm one step closer to finding out who I do want to be or what I do want to participate in. And I think one of the other big pieces that I hear is spinning around in the I don't knows. I don't know what I want to be. I don't know what I'm passionate about. I don't know what I care about. And I'm like, can you tell me the things that piss you off? Because if you can tell me the things that piss you (laughs) off, 
Yes. You already have a shit ton information. It's likely that if micromanaging doesn't work for you, that you value independence, right? Or autonomy or agency. Or if injustice really fucking pisses you off, you probably value respect or philanthropy or altruism. Human rights. That's right. (laughs) So I also would push back on anyone who goes, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. First of Mm -hmm. all, start saying, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. And also, you have a lot of information about the things that you don't want, you don't like. So take some stock of that as being some really concrete evidence that you're closer to figuring out who you are and what you want than you think. Oh my gosh, 100%. I I love the example of what makes you mad. I also like we're so good at correcting uh, at collecting the wrong evidence and so and we this starts when we're really young so you might say like well but i'm really not good with numbers so like i could never have my own business and the reality is like maybe you weren't good at trigonometry <laughs> like maybe you got to right. see and trig or like i know growing up i also i always felt like i wasn't a creative person cuz i was never good in art class like it was horrifying and embarrassing and what's been interesting as an adult and being an entrepreneur and having highly entrepreneurial friends is multiple times they've commented on like, you're just so creative. And I'm like, I'm not creative. Like I don't do crafts. Well, that's not like the be all end all of creativity. <laughs> I was defining creativity in like the totally the wrong way where I'm like, oh, like it's not about painting a mural. It's like, if I can be an entre- entrepreneur for 19 years, probably highly creative, but not in the sense that I'm like sitting down with my charcoals and my sketch pad. So I think that we often collect the wrong kind of evidence around these, uh, around identities and around the, these like false boundaries around them, um, that really get in our way. So you might also say like, and this would be another really common one for a middle-aged woman. I'm not an athlete. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? Like, maybe you're not playing basketball down like the park every weekend, but are there other ways that you're an athlete? Probably like, do you like to hike with your dog every weekend? P.S. That's athletic. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so there's so many ways that we collect evidence that holds us back where we're like, oh, I'm not this, or I can't do that, or I'm not good at this. And if we really look at, and I love your point about being experiential, being experiential, if we give ourselves that space to be experiential, we learn like, oh, actually I am creative and I am athletic and I am all these different things. I just had been listening to this inner critic that had had placed limitations on my skills or talents, maybe since like the third grade. Yeah. I I oftentimes will will give people the assignment of almost voyeuristically viewing themselves as though they are a scientist just collecting data. And yeah. I think this could this could very much uh correlate to what you're talking about with the type of evidence that you tally or that you kind of take stock of. So it if you're kind of voyeuristically watching yourself on a movie screen or pretending you're being observed by a scientist and you're kind of just looking and go, oh, it seems as though the subject doesn't really like that type of athleticism. Oh, the subject absolutely loves this type <laughs> of athleticism. Oh, how curious that we can expand the con- the concept of creativity or athleticism to encompass what the subject is doing, right? Like, so I think there's there's the methods of experimenting, but then there's also expanse of the language. Of, yes, totally. And that's what we've been pigeonholed in. Creativity mm-hmm. looks like fucking this, right? right Motherhood right. looks like this. Yes, yes. And All of it. womanhood. I mean, like any identity looks a certain way, right? And then if you deviate from that, you mm-hmm. must not be a woman or you must not be creative or whatever, or not other. be good enough, not be enough in whatever that role is. Exactly. And so I, I think there's a huge lesson here in, in the redefining of what that is, mm-hmm. whatever it is, whether it's this new piece of identity that you want to own, like I want to be more of an activist. Okay. So what how can I expand that definition beyond maybe what I've always thought it was, what I was taught, what was indoctrinated, et cetera. Can I connect that to permission? Yes, please. So, cause I totally agree. Like 100% wholeheartedly everything that you just said. And I think there's a layer of giving yourself permission for that expansiveness rather than waiting for other people to give you the title. And I remember mm. 
years ago, I was going to speak at, I got asked to speak at this event. I pre I owned a gym at the time and taught like all these boot camp classes every week and ran all these programs and workshops and did like, I mean, I was like running wellness programs, teaching and preaching and coaching like all the time, every single day. And I got asked to speak at this event and I was like, well, but I'm not a speaker. And so I asked this woman who was a life coach to help me out with my talk. And I was like, Amy, this is going to be really, her name was also Amy. And I'm like, Amy, this is going to be really hard. I'm not a speaker, blah, blah, blah. And so I wrote up this draft for her and she's like, Sarah, can we, we need to, before I read what you wrote, like, we just need to talk about whether or not you're a speaker. And I'm like, well, obviously I'm not like, have you ever seen me on a stage? And she's like, can we talk about what you do every single day for your work? (laughs) You stand in front of 40 people and tell them what to do with unbridled, like confidence and joy. So PS, you're a speaker. (laughs) And she's like, she gave me homework to go home and put speaker on my email um, signature. And I was like shaking, like typing it and like, Oh my God, I'm such a fraud. And within a week I was like, you're a speaker. (laughs) Right. But I hadn't expanded that definition to myself because in my mind, like a speaker should have like a plaque on their wall that like an institution gave them that was like, you've graduated now. You are officially a speaker. (laughs) she, She had to remind me or not remind me. She had to like educate me that's not how it works. You get to choose. You get to choose the role and the title and own it in the way that you want, obviously within responsible parameters. Like don't go say you're a real estate agent if you don't have actual qualifications. Right. Of but course. Yeah. Like we have to look at that expansiveness of those roles and then decide how we want to own them. There's something else that you talk about a lot that I would love for you to share. And it's around sort of this journey that we're talking about of becoming genuinely becoming who you really want to be and how it's not mm-hmm. static it's completely uh, evolving all the time we don't actually arrive at this place where we're like done i'm self actualized <laughs> i don't have to do my personal development work like the act of becoming get used to it because that's what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life mm-hmm. But I do see concepts in personal development like courage, like confidence, like self-worth, like relinquishing people-pleasing, where the idea is I will eventually get to that place where I'm magically confident or I'm magically always behaving from a place of courage. And I think there is a conditioning process that people really overlook or don't think is a part of the process. So can you talk about nurturing these new habits of who you want to be through your your kind of two-part framework of frequency and recency? Did yes. I get that right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so first I want to credit the great Michelle Obama because she's the has the book Becoming. And it was in reading her book that I was like, Holy cow, she's so right. We are, we are always becoming. And what can we, how do we use that to our advantage? And so start there. If we can identify that we are always becoming in whatever roles we carry and whatever identities we carry, and in whatever ways we conscientiously choose to become in whatever way we want, then we can see huge opportunity, also some huge responsibility should we choose. Um, but what we can look at is how do I consistently show up at, moving in the direction of the person I want to become. And of course it's never going to be perfect or linear. And so it's going to be real fumbly where like some days you're like, today's a great day of becoming. And the next day you're maybe like your 14 year old version of yourself crying on your floor and having a temper tantrum. Like those things can coexist on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, but we can look at how are we using our habits and acknowledging our habits in a way that we're setting ourselves up to become the person that we want to be becoming and that we're setting ourselves up to be in this uh, season of constant evolution, which to your point, it would be so nice if we could check a box and be like, whew, done, <laughs> done, done with, with confidence. Got it. <laughs> done with confidence. Check. Um, but we can't. And so then we have to look at recency and frequency. And so what we know about recency and frequency, and this is something I use back when I owned my gym and I would help people shift their habits around exercise and nutrition we would talk about recency and frequency. And the idea being that the things that you have done most frequently and most recently are the things you're most likely to replicate. And so for me, if I am practicing courage most of the time at at, at most opportunities, if not all opportunities that I have, 
then when I am faced with something that's really big and hard and scary, or where I've completely messed up and I have to own it, I can remember and quickly recall that, but the person that I'm becoming has to be in an integ- has to be in integrity in the situation. So I either need to like make a phone call to make an apology, or I need to apply for the thing that's really big and scary because I know I'm qualified, even though I'm really terrified. Because that's what I do. I take risks and I take action because of who I want to become. And so we can look at it in terms of micro habits. We might look at exercise as an example. So if I exercise, you know, four days a week, the thing that I've done most frequently, most days of the week, I exercise. So then it doesn't become a constant negotiation. Like, should I or shouldn't I? It's just what I do. If I look at what I have done most recently on a, you know, on a week morning for me on a weekday morning, I'm like, yeah, I got up and I did a workout. So that for me is recency and frequency where things then become less negotiable. And I'm not thinking about, should I or shouldn't I? Do I take the risk? Do I not? Do I do the workout? Do I not? Do I make, you know, whatever the choice is? Do I let myself stay up until midnight binge watching shows or do I decide that like I want to have a healthier relationship with sleep? So when we look at those recent and frequent our most recent and frequent behavioral patterns, we can look at it, we can get a sense of the direction that we're going. So whether that is practicing stepping into courage or stepping into confidence and routinely showing up in the, as that courageous and confident self, or if it's looking at, you want to be an activist, then what are you do, like? What are you doing most recently and frequently? If you haven't stood up and spoken out about something recently, it's going to be way harder and more scary to be an activist than if you're just like constantly practicing using your voice in all sorts of different ways. It's funny because we we talk a lot about speaking up on the show and boundaries and mm. and even my best friend will say I assume that it's always easy for you. And I'm mm. like no, it's a, it's not always easy for me. I'm scared yeah. every time. Yep. It's definitely easier because it's become frequent and it's off, often recent. But there was something that stood out to me so much when I was looking at imposter syndrome and, you know, we were talking about Michelle Obama and she and uh, Maya Angelou, Tina Fey, uh, Meryl Streep, all of these profound talents and minds in our world have talked specifically about imposter complex, right? Which is fear. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about, okay, the really the only thing that separates these folks who experience that same element of fear and lack of confidence, the only thing that separates us from them or anyone from them is that they chose courage in the face of fear over and over and over again on a consistent basis. It's not the apps. They miraculously don't have fear. They don't have self-doubt. It's that they see that there and they go, oh no, when I experience fear, I behave from a place of courage. That's the, that's the formula. And to yeah. what you're talking about, it's, it's just the formula is creating a habit of, okay, if you want to be an activist, do activist behaviors. How many activist (laughs) behaviors have you done? If you want to be confident, how many confident behaviors have you recently done? That's kind of what I'm hearing. But a lot of times I think we, we think like, oh, I would be confident if I was Michelle Obama. Well, she had to go through a series of fearful exchanges and chose courage in the face of that fear over and over again, enough times to get her where she is. And I don't think, I don't think that's a big secret. I think it's just a matter of what we choose over and over again in each instance. So one of the ways this has been showing up for me recently, I'm the co-chair of the parent association at my son's school, which has been a super interesting experience after being my boss, my own boss for 19 years, and then having to like work with people. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, oh, like, why do you all have so many opinions? (laughs) Can't I just be in charge? But what's been really interesting is I found myself and I have a really fantastic co-chair and we're so aligned on values, which makes things fantastic. It makes the hard things easier. But what I've recognized is that because I practice courage on such a regular basis and have practiced using my voice on, on such a regular basis, that when things come up, this, by the way, is a Catholic school. So a lot of things come up (laughs) where I'm like, "Uh, I feel like I have like a problem and issue. I feel like we're not like seeing things through, like maybe a real equitable or inclusive lens here. Like I'm constantly like waving the inclusivity flag. And other people have said to me, like, to your point, like, it looks like it comes really easy or you are, you always speak up and like, 
this, we're grateful that you're in this role because you're so good at it kind of a thing. Like you're so good at calling things out. Doesn't mean I'm not scared every time. Like every single time I'm like, oh God, I have to raise the inclusivity flag again. (laughs) Um, But I'm, but the thing that I go back to every single time is, but this is who I am. And I'm a person who, if I see an injustice happening, or if I see a gap or a hole where the most unrepresented person in the room or most underrepresented person in the room is not going to have their needs met, I'm going to say something. That's what I do at every turn. And I'm not going to deny that part of myself in any role ever. And even if it costs me this role, which I've become super clear about. Um, So I think what back to recency and frequency is when you practice those things over time and when you show up and practice courage in the face of fear over and over and over again, when the choice and and options and obstacles are right in your way, it's a quick gauge, a quick decision in many cases to be like, oh, but this is what I do. Like not looking forward to it, not going to be fun, but this is what I do. And this is what I have like I've been working my whole life to get to this point that like at every turn, I'm going to like raise my hand and be like, hold on a minute. I have a question about that thing. Um, And I think that then you, you own that as part of your identity. You can really clearly um, you, you, you can own that in a really powerful way where it's, there's a lot of clarity there. I, I want to talk about this idea of not asking for permission. And I know we're kind of circling back to that. We talked about that a little earlier and we're kind of reaching the end of our time together. So are there ways, any tactical, practical ways for folks out there who go, Oh, I always am saying, I'm sorry, or if it's convenient for you or uh, Mm -hmm. people listening, what is their first step to start playing a little bit of a bigger game in their life without asking permission? What's a baby step? So a couple small things you can do is just playing with wording. So instead of asking like, Hey, can I do something or do you mind if I do something, which like, I want to honor, we should be respectful in our interactions. So there's like this gauge around, like, do I, am I asking for permission or for support instead? Mm. Could you say, this is what I need. And if you can express a need, Hey, this is what I need. And how can we make this work? And so when I talk about this, like through the lens of parenting, um, where a mom is maybe saying like, Hey, I need some time. I need some time to like mama needs a day off where you can go to a partner and say, Hey, I need some time to myself on Saturday from 12 to four, when the kids are at gymnastics or whatever, or napping or whatever, I'm going to just go do this thing, whatever the thing is. And you can like out of respect be like, cool. Right. Like, announce the thing first versus like this apologetic, like, do you mind if I, or may I, and shrinking in your, in your ass. So that's the first thing is like, Hey, I need this. And making that a really neutral Mm -hmm. presenting that need on the back end of that. I think that there is a place to say, what do you need? So I need this. What do you need? And then you're not, then you're looking at it. Like you don't necessarily owe someone something, but you can, from a place of mutual respect, be like, like, I have needs and you have needs. Can we look at like how those are getting met? So that might be like in your marriage or in your relationship in the workplace that might look a little different. It might still be like, here's what I need. And so in the workplace, it might be something around like owning your strengths and saying, Hey, like I'm really good in these three roles here. I don't shine in this role it would make a lot of sense for Bob and accounting to maybe take some of these things. And then for me to take some of these things. And then we both are working in our strengths. So instead of like asking for permission and like, may I, and what do you think? And like kind of the shrinky behavior instead to present an idea where you get to shine in your strengths and there might be other, other uh, opportunities that are mutually beneficial for other people as well. It doesn't always have to be mutually beneficial though. Sometimes you can just have a need and be like, I need an hour to myself today from 12 to one. And that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's practicing that language because that language is going to be uncomfortable um, at first. And so it's really practicing, ask, like letting people know what you need in a really neutral way, not in a, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Do you mind? Kind of and that's way. such a fierce act in it 
of itself is just, oh, first yeah. of all, to claim that you've got a fucking need and then to yep. voice the fucking need, especially yeah. if you grew up in a family where you were squashed around all of your needs or have a previous yeah. relationship where, yeah. where your needs weren't valid. I so appreciate anything around language and nuance and just saying it really, it has so much to do with your cadence. And, you know, we know mm-hmm. that verbiage, like your actual verbal language is like 7% of the way that we communicate. The rest of it is your tone of voice and your body language. <sighs> so if you're yeah. a sassy ass <laughs> where your body language and you maybe your way your head goes and your hands mm-hmm. go send up a totally different message. <laughs> than what your words are saying. You might have to work on the inflection or the body language a little bit. And I think there's a part of emotional intelligence here too, of claiming where you're at emotionally and just saying, Hey, listen, babe, I am about to lose my shit. I am so overwhelmed or I am in such a state of exhaustion or frustration. I have to go take some time for myself. And Mm -hmm. I think it'll be better. I think it's fiscally responsible. Totally. Totally. And yeah, I think that I'm like my tone of voice when I'm tired or impatient or when people in my family aren't doing things fast enough, like my tone of voice is so out the window and my husband calls me on it on a regular basis. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm just stating the obvious, or I'm just asking for blah, 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 blah. And he's like, yeah, like the way you just said that. And in my mind, I was super neutral about it, but all of like my rage of why are you all doing things so slowly? And don't you see how I am holding everything together right now? Yes, comes seeping out of every pore. So I think that checking your tone, checking your cadence, I'm a really fast talker makes such a huge difference. Um, And again, like not doing that to contort to someone else's needs, but to do that is a way of practicing courageous and confident communication and courageous and confident communication is not treating people like shit. And it's not like being passive aggressive or, you know, letting your anger seep out of the pores. It's instead like quieting yourself down enough to be able to be a a grown up and look at like, who do I want to be in? Who am I becoming? Who do I want to be in this relationship? Do I want to be the passive aggressive, like wife who always has a tone about her (laughs) that no one loves, you know, and that's not who I want to be. That's such, such a great point. And (laughs) I could go on and on and on about tone of voice and how we, when we feel so wronged or a sense of injustice, we feel validated in yelling and screaming or being passive aggressive. And I think even more so around you need to be an adult and, and use your words is the idea that it's actually wildly more effective to communicate from a place of calm, rational yeah. dialogue. So not just like for a study in being the person you want to be, but also for getting the things that you want yes. out of the fucking <laughs> totally. relationship. Like to give you more power. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then not in a uh, not in an asshole way, but in right. a place of like, I can set myself up to be heard mm-hmm. so differently. Yeah by how I choose to communicate. And it's less likely that you'll be written off as being hysterical or so emotional if you're just coming to the table with, you know, calm dialogue. Oh, Sarah, I could talk to you for hours, my friend. Love this. I should let you go so you could go check the chicken. (laughs) I was just going to say, I'm going to go see how the chicken's doing. See if it smells weird yet. (laughs) Yeah. It it might have just a little stank on it. I I think you're going to be okay, but maybe cook it today. I'm thinking probably, probably good yeah. point <laughs> because God damn it. Dinner has to happen every day, oh, every damn day. All right, my friend. Well, thank you for your time. And I'll be sure to put all of your links in the show notes so people can come check you out, especially those mamas out there. And, um, yes. and just thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing and for taking the time to pick up. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I so appreciate you and your work, Amy. Oh, all right. Bye my friend. So many good nuggets there. And by the way, I would love to hear your thoughts on my time discussing things with Sarah. The best way to do that is to cruise over to Instagram, find me under the handle Hey Amy Greensmith, and find the meme for this particular 
or the infographic, whatever, your poster, whatever the fuck you want to call it for this particular episode and just share with me what your biggest takeaway is. I always like to hear from you all, but because it's an auditory medium and it's not something that there's like a comment section or anything like that, I just basically see that there are downloads, but I don't often hear from folks. So I would love, love, love to hear what your biggest takeaways were, what hit you, what was an aha moment. And we will have tons more coming up on the Identity Series next week. I think you will want to have your pen and paper handy. I'm giving out some of my absolute favorite tactics, tools, homework assignments to help you really uncover who you genuinely want to be in this world. Don't miss it. And until then, I will see you around these parts next week. And remember that you are enough. Your voice matters. So please go out there and speak the bold-faced truth. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Just one more thing. So these podcasts, it turns out, don't actually rate and review themselves. So I would be over the moon if you would leave a review, rate the show, subscribe and tell anyone you know who needs to start speaking the fuck up for themselves and if you do i will give you a mini pig just kidding but i will be so very incredibly grateful okay thank you bye